What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, podcast family. I'm so excited to be back here with you this week. Before we get started with this week's guest, I just wanted to remind you that OXO Fitness, that's A-U-X-O fitness.com, is continuing to improve and expand on their on-demand bar classes. They also have some yoga classes, a few meditations sprinkled in there as well with yours truly as one of the hosts for those. And it really has been such a great lifesaver for me to be able to do that at home. So just a reminder, oxofitness.com if you're looking for some great toning options from home. This week's guest is Bob Krulish. I'm really excited to bring him to you and his story. During Bob's tenure at Nationwide Insurance and Safeco, he saw a doctor for stress-related symptoms and was incorrectly diagnosed with depression. He was placed on a medication that would ultimately cause him to ruin his own life. Once Bob received the proper diagnosis of bipolar 1 disorder, he was able to slowly put his life back together and soon found the strength to share his struggles with others. He is the author of When Screams Become Whispers and can be found online at bobkrulish.com, which will all be in the show notes. I'm excited to bring you this really important and impactful episode of Bob really opening his heart to us of the journey he's had, the struggles he's had, some of the losses in his life because of the mental health concerns that were not addressed, and just what this looks like in day-to-day life. It's so important for us to see that from his perspective so we can better understand, have better awareness, and better approach this with others. So I'm really honored to bring you Bob. All right, super excited to be with Bob Krulish today on the podcast. We have not covered this specific topic, and I learned a little bit about his story and reached out, and he was kind enough to come on and share with you all and me today. Thank you so much for being here, Bob. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for asking. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So before we dive into your background and journey and story and some of your insights for the Mm -hmm. audience, let's first go through the question I ask all of my guests, which is what does true wellness mean to you? Yeah. And I thought about that. I've listened to your podcast and you know, for me, it means being able to have and live the life that I choose, you know, that I want to have. Um, and that is spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, being prepared and to be, you know, with my illness, it took away all my choices at one time. And so to have choice and to have wellness, you know, in that choice, um, is what true wellness would mean to me. 
Yes, I think choice is a fantastic word to use there. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's go through a little bit about your background. So I know that it's you've encapsulated many more details in your book, and we'll talk about that near the end of the podcast. So for more details, there's definitely a place to go for <laughs> knowing more about Bob. But if you can just kind of give us a summary, as difficult as that might be, a summary of kind of you know where you've been and what led you to where you are today. Um, what led me to what I am today and do today it all started back with my illness starting when I was 16 years old. And unfortunately, I learned later in life that my dad had bipolar disorder as well. And at 16 years old, he decided when I was 16, he decides to get up one night and then leave. And he had a girlfriend, uh, apparently, and he left. And I mean left, like we never heard from him again. And, um, and that changed the course of my life quite a bit. And at that point, uh, bipolar is kind of interesting because it needs a genetic propensity, but then it needs an emotional trigger to set it off. And that set it off for me. And the interesting thing about my story is that I was symptomatic at 16, but I didn't get a correct diagnosis until I was 51, which is hard to believe because I'm only 35. No, it's a joke. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't get diagnosed for 35 years. And so that placed a lot of havoc on my life and it destroyed relationships galore, uh, career here and there. Every now and then I'd blow up and lose the whole thing until eventually I got diagnosed at 51 years old. And the only reason I even managed to get diagnosed is by, by the fact that I was depressed because my wife had, of 24 years, had kicked me out of the house after doing so many um, destructive things for the family. And she had good reason to kick me out. But I went to see a therapist about my depression around divorce while I was still manic at the same time. We call that a mixed episode. And fortunately, uh, when you're manic, you don't go see a doctor because you just believe that you are smarter than anybody else on the planet. So why would you go see a stupid doctor? And But my depression led me to a th therapist who then thought I might have bipolar. And, and in order to win a bet that I didn't have it, I went to see the psychiatrist. So the whole reason I went to the psychiatrist was to, be, to win a bet against my therapist. <laughs> wow. And fortunately, my, ther my psychiatrist I saw heard about 20 minutes of my story and immediately put his hand up and said, I've heard enough. Uh, you have bipolar type one, the most severe kind of bipolar disorder. Um, and to be quite honest with you, you're out of your mind. And I thought, well, that's pretty nice. How do you do? Mm -hmm. um, but um, that started my journey on to therapy and medication, uh, which is now 11 years ago. And and eventually led me to the point where I felt healthy enough to talk about my condition, probably about four or five years after I was diagnosed. And I started to attend the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI, we call it NAMI. 
meetings and then became one of their speakers. And since then, about five, six years ago, I've given about 75 talks for NAMI, some on a national level and most of them on a local level. And then what occurred from that, as you can maybe imagine, is a lot of parents wanted to talk to me after my talks and tell me about their story about their son or daughter. And if I coached, and at the time I wasn't coaching, I wasn't even thinking of coaching, I had another career. But then I, I eventually got so many people asking me that I decided to start a coaching program, which is what I still do today. And I, uh, so I coach parents that are dealing with a son or daughter with a serious mental illness. And particularly the ones who are really struggling, these are people that are delusional, uh, have psychotic features, and also are in denial of their illness because of another medical reason. So they're really very difficult uh, situations that we, through working together, we find a lot of success with and it's very fulfilling. So I kind of turn uh, lemon into lemonade, I guess you could say. I would definitely say that. I would uh, highlight that for sure, that what an amazing story and so many points along the road that this was not handled right, including the therapist who says you're out of your mind, which we'll, we'll get to kind of the, the system and some of the yes. the ways the system does not do a fantastic job. But wow, mm-hmm. what a what a story. Um, I'm really so grateful that you had chosen this path to help others. And I think that's where we a lot of us just find our, our true purpose and work is turning this is exactly what you just said, which is turning lemons into lemonade. I so appreciate the work that you're doing now. So let's dive in a little bit. So somebody listening might not know exactly what bipolar disorder is. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've heard of it. Maybe maybe they have some idea of what that might look like, but they don't really know truly what that means from a from a diagnostic standpoint, but then also from a daily life standpoint. Can you kind of shed some light on that? Sure. And what I'm going to do in order to be uh, real clear is I happen to have the doctor's manual on how to diagnose bipolar disorder right in front of me. And I'll just give you a couple of ideas and then I'll kind of start describe how they manifest themselves in me. So for a person to be diagnosed with bipolar, they have to have had a manic episode sometime in their life that lasted at least a week and caused severe um, problems in their lifetime. That's one of the criteria is that it has to, um, how do they put it? It has to cause marked impairment in social or occupational functioning. Um, It has to be sufficiently severe. And it's kind of highlighted by grandiose thinking, um, inflated self-esteem, a decreased need for sleep, uh, more talkative than usual. Uh, people that you might know that have flights of ideas, like they'll talk to you and they'll have a dozen ideas just going rapidly through their head. Um, and there's others, but like, let me uh, explain, like for me, grandiosity was everything had to be done in a grand scale. Like when I was a high school golfer, it wasn't enough to just make the golf team in my mind but I had to become the greatest golfer on the world in the world. 
And that was my goal. And I could barely make the golf team. So that's how, that's how far-fetched that goal was. And then I got to be a, a senator in the little um, student government of my college. And then I told everybody I was going to become a U.S. senator. And, 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 and then, uh, then I started to look into the flight program at, in the Air Force. Uh, and then I told everybody I was going to be a jet fighter pilot and, um, I can't even ride a carousel wheel. So that's how far fetched that was without getting sick. Um, and things like that on and on and on and on. Everything was gigantic goal, uh, no small goals whatsoever. And also not achievable. And, and you know, I'm, I just wasn't wired for any of these goals, but they just all sounded very attractive. Um, you believe that you're very much the most important person on the planet and the smartest person on the planet. And uh, you have this increased or this inflated self-esteem. Um, you can go for days without sleeping. I've gone four or five days without sleeping, all while being medicated with a sleep med and uh, about a dozen Benadryls over that period of time. And I still couldn't fall asleep. You have this flight of ideas. You just, you're always thinking, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for a business. I'm going to do that for a business. I must've started and never got to the second step on, on at least 20 businesses, uh, all of which are LLCs that I filed with the state that I lived in. And I never did anything with them. When you talk to somebody like this, uh, they have real pressured speech. Uh, they can't stop talking. So it seems like they don't stop talking to you. But what's really going on is that they have so much activity in their brain, they literally cannot stop talking. And I, I have talked from a room full of people to nobody in the room, and I still kept talking. It's just an uncontrolled, pressured speech. And then finally, I'll give you one idea, uh, one example of a flight of ideas. Um, you know, when most people talk, they can go from one idea to the next to the next, and they all seem to have a relationship from one idea to the next. Um, some common thread through the conversation uh, with bipolar, there is no common thread. There's just oh, I'm going to go do this. And then all of a sudden it's like, do you ever have spaghetti? And then, uh, you know, what do you think about the moon landing? And then, um, you know what, I, I'm going to go swimming later on. Do you want to go swimming with me? And I'm like, what are you talking about is what people would be saying. Because it's just a flight of ideas all over the place. Then on the other side of bipolar is the depression. So it's everything that ma major depressive disorder has is the depressive side and that is the more frequent thing in bipolar is your depression your mania is less frequent uh the depression is as severe um it usually keeps me in bed for days and days at a time uh, if i get up and, and get out of bed it'd be around three o'clock in the afternoon my normal lifestyle, my normal, when I'm in normal mood, I like to sleep from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. That's my rhythm. But when I'm in a depressed state, I can't get up before 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You have no interest in anything that was pleasurable before. Uh, 
and you're, you're completely hopeless. And what I always say about mania is that you're complete, you're infinitely hopeful. And with depression, you're infinitely hopeless. And those are some of the key characteristics of bipolar disorder. It, it does, I call it the illness of destruction because all your relationships, all your friendships, all your love relationships, your career, your work, everything is going to be greatly affected. Wow. I really appreciate you sharing all of that and tying it back into how it has shown up in your life. And, you know, I'm wondering, and I'm thinking of, of those listening who might also be wondering how this has existed in your life and did exist in your life for that many years, for 35 years with mm -hmm. nobody noticing or questioning. So I'm, you know, I'm just kind of wondering if you have any insight as to how these symptoms showed up. W would you say nobody questioned because you didn't seek help for them or, or were people in your life saying, Hey, something, you know, I think maybe you should get checked out. Like what, what kind of was transpiring as people around you were noticing these things and how, how would it have gone missed for that year, that many years? Yeah, Kingo missed, um, uh, although Kingo really, really, really sideways in a big way. But you could sound like you're just a very creative, you're an A-type person, you've got a lot of drive, you have a lot of ideas, you have a lot of goals, you're very goal-oriented. So people would just be like, wow, Bob, you're, you're really goal-oriented, you're a risk-taker, you're a really go-go guy. And what it was is I was just out of my mind all the time and and it can look like a very positive thing except that when you're with people you're close to loved ones they see that all the talk that you do nothing materializes from it and they that and and i've quit great jobs before to pursue a silly idea and so i don't know how i managed to stay married 24 years i mean you know, God bless her. I mean, for, for just putting up with upset after upset after upset, uh, there's some anger that's manifested in bipolar disorder. Um, you, um, put holes in the walls, holes in the doors. You have these outbreaks that are just uncontrolled. Um, uh, and, and, uh, my wife managed to stick around, um, up to a point. And then there was finally, um, the worst manic break I ever had um, was about two years before the divorce. And then I was just doing so many crazy things that it was a real jeopardy to my family. The other thing that makes it uh, hard for people to help you with this is that you might be, you know, you might have a friend. I have a friend who thought I had bipolar. He knew better, too, because his wife has it. But you just don't want to tell somebody that, you know, you just don't want to go up and say, Bob, you know what, I, I've been noticing your behavior and I think you're just really out of your mind. I think you have bipolar disorder. So I think a lot of people are very reluctant to say anything like you need to go get checked out. You ought to go see a doctor, things mm -hmm. like that. I didn't have anybody uh, suggest I see a doctor and really until that therapist. And then even my first wife, uh, you know, that put up with this for 24 years, when she found out, when I told her I had bipolar disorder, 
she didn't believe it. She just thought I was really kind of uh, an ass of a, of, you know, a bit of a jackass and a very hard to get along with person with just, you know, ridiculous ideas and goals. So, and that's 11 years ago. And still, I don't think to this day, she believes I have it. Oh, wow. Yeah. You bring up a lot of really important points, I think for the audience and me to hear, which is sometimes these manic episodes can be translated and perceived by others as, wow, you're such a go-getter and you're so, you have so much energy Mm -hmm. and, um, Mm -hmm. and the perception and how much the hustle in our society is encouraged to the point where noticing this would be like, that's amazing. People are looking up to you. They also want to be in that state, not understanding that it's a, it's a mental health state. So that's a really interesting insight. And then also just the lack of awareness, but even when there is awareness, the lack of ability for us to have these conversations openly, that somebody would feel comfortable enough to tell you something's not right and um, instead to maybe avoid it. So just some really, imp- and, and the fact that, you know, loved ones may still not believe it after the diagnosis has come. So really important points, I think, to highlight that uh, definitely indicate some of the issues in our medical system, but also society as a whole. So I appreciate you sharing that. I know you've talked also about the multitude of medications that you were placed on. Of course, yeah. anytime a diagnosis comes, even if it's not mental yeah. illness, most of the time, any diagnosis comes, right. medications come after and then with mental health, um, that can usually end up in a multitude. So I'm curious with my background in pharmacy, what, you know, if you can share a bit on that and um, maybe some of the insights of, you know, trying these multitude of medications, failing some, you know, having the side effects and, and kind of just working through this very trial and error period with the medications. I'm really happy to go over that. I do want to make one quick comment about the fact that doctors don't even I saw like five doctors and they did not diagnose me properly because we never go see the doctor when we're manic. We only go see them when we're depressed. And so they need to see mania in order to diagnose you bipolar. So um, the average number of doctors is about five and the average number of years of being symptomatic is around seven before somebody gets a proper diagnosis. But once I did, the very first thing that first doctor gave me was four uh, prescriptions. And I said, I got to take all four. He goes, yeah. And, and let's just give these a try and see if they work. And I'm like, how about I, can I look at your uh, diploma again? I mean, are you really a doctor? I mean, you, you're giving me four and you have no idea if these are going to work. What kind of an idiot are you? <laughs> and, and then I learned, we call that a cocktail. You know, when we have multiples, we call it a cocktail. And now I've been through about 65 different cocktail changes over the past 11 or 12 years. And at the early state, I was going through like one a month, a a med change once a month or once every other month. And and I've been on about 15 different psychotropic drugs uh, as some, sometimes they work for a little while and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't work at all. And one of them almost took my life, um, put me in a really bad place and um, had a friend not intervene at the very last minute I would have died. Mm-hmm. And so um, made me um, 
so when they say, you know, you may experience suicidal ideation or tendencies by getting on a bed, they're not kidding. So when you go through that many med changes, you have to be very careful about what you do. Like, for example, I would not get on a plane the day after I started a new med. I wouldn't, I'd want to be at least on that new med for a couple of weeks before I'd get like in an isolated place like that. Mm. And, and that's why a lot of people go into treatment and they go into a, a, therapy, a treatment center where they can take the meds for a couple of weeks, see how they do on them, and then they go home. Uh, I did it all free, free outside of a hospital setting, and it was um, really very, very difficult. There was a lot of dark, dark, dark days. Then the second part of that is that not only do they not work effectively all the time, it's rare that they ever work really well, like I have now. Uh, that took me 11 years to figure out how to get to real wellness medically. Um, but the other thing that you have to take into account is the side effects of these meds. So you have a side effect of each med, you have multiple side effects from each med. And then the thing they can't tell you is what is the side effect of the cocktail? This combination of meds produces its own side effects and they can be pretty extreme. And so um, they, they are meds that are messing with your brain, with your head, you know, with the dopamine uh, levels and the serotonin levels of your brain. Um, and and um, they could cause um, all kinds of problems. But I also am so grateful for them. I have psychosis with my bipolar. So some people have bipolar with psychotic features, much like a person with schizophrenia has. And I have that type of bipolar. And so without my antipsychotic, I have real delusions uh, and paranoia thinking that affects my life uh, very, very negatively. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think it's so important that people hear, you know, medications are definitely never a guarantee and in mental health, it's even a little bit more shaky. We don't have a whole lot of really robust literature to support, which is why even doctors are going in unsure because every person's going to respond a little bit differently. So thank you for sharing that experience. You have said before that education is your secret weapon against illness. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you and how you sort of came to that realization? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. A great idea is that it is uh, the key to my wellness. And one of the reasons is because um, knowing your symptoms and then telling people close to you what they look like is one way for them to help you detect early warning signs. So like my girlfriend and my good friends all around me know that if I stop sleeping at night, if I start complaining about what a waste of time sleep is, that's an early indication of a manic episode coming. So the more I learned about early warning signs and the more educated I got my inner circle, the clearer it was when I was about to go into an episode. Um, one of the second thing that was really uh, 
uh, important to know and really important maybe for your listeners to know is that if you have bipolar disorder, but you're only given an antidepressant, an SSRI, and you're not given something to stabilize the mood, in bipolar one, an antidepressant will cause you to go into mania. And I was on an SSRI because my doctor thought I had depression because that's when I saw her. And that put me in a mania for two years. And that was my worst break uh, that ruined everything uh, that time for me. So the better educated you are about the medications, like when I meet with my psychiatrist now, we have a consultation where we're both consulting with one another. I know everything about the medications. And he always ends the consult by saying, Bob, what do you think we should do? And, and I'm, I'm that attuned to my body, to my side effects, to the medications, to know what we should do. And, and I say, well, I think we should up the Abilify or lower the Prozac. Or just recently, I said we should add Wellbutrin because it's not an SSRI. It's a different type of uh, mechanism and um, things like that that I'm able to throw around uh, because I just understand the medication. So that knowledge of the symptoms, the knowledge of the medications, the knowledge of uh, the antidepressant uh, has really kept me very healthy. I love that. And I, and it's basically coming back to a lot of the work that I do, which is advocating for, for my patients, but also giving them a voice and helping them to know how to be empowered. And that's exactly what you just said. You've learned to be empowered in your care by knowing more so you can talk the language to your doctors. And at this point, it's fantastic to hear that they are now asking for your insights and what a, mm -hmm. what an amazing day we, we would get to, if we could all get to that point, I guess, which kind of leads me to the next question, which is, you know, what is your advice for society and even the medical system as a whole in mm. sort of addressing and interacting with mental health concerns such as this, I guess, including, you know, what are, what are we doing wrong and, and um, maybe even unintentionally and what things, if any, are we doing right? a great question and I know we don't have four hours for me to answer that so <laughs> let me try to I could go on and on and on um, let me talk about maybe a couple of things that we might do right and that would be um, we have good medications that have come out in the recent you know 30 or 40 years the um, that, that are, have less side effects, so that's a good thing. We have some that have come out more recently, less side effects and more effective for bipolar. Um, so that the pharmaceutical companies have been doing a good job of producing new medications um, that are helpful. Um, the system is really not good uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, you have a lot of good men and women out there that are psychiatrists and psychologists, but one of the problems is access to them. There's not enough. And so what ends up happening is a lot of these illnesses get treated by a general practitioner who unfortunately may have had one or two classes in psychiatry. And, and that's what they've told me. And they don't really get into this that much. And so, they're 
often prescribing like a depression, an antidepressant, when they really don't realize the, the, the way to diagnose whether they had bipolar or not first. So you have a lot of good people doing, uh, ending up having to go with a general practitioner who doesn't have quite the experience. And I love them for what they do. Um, trying to get in to see a psychiatrist is like about a three to four month uh, experience if you can find one that's taken new patients. Um, systematically too, uh, the way we, um, you know, I've written a TEDx talk that I'm hoping to do sometime this year somewhere in the country. And, and, and it's about how we label these medications. Um, I call my medications my kid meds. And the reason I call them kid meds instead of antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, or antidepressants is because they got me a better relationship with my kids. So I look at what the meds got me. They got, they're my job meds. They got me career meds. They're my relationship meds. They're my kid meds. Instead of what they do to me, side effect wise. And so the title of my talk is a warning. These meds may get you a job <laughs> and, um, and, and then talk about what the meds are likely to help you get out of life instead of what they're taking from your life. But I can understand why nobody wants to be on an antipsychotic, especially somebody who doesn't believe they're sick. Why in the world would they be on an antipsychotic medication? But I also have people that I've worked with that are, that are totally convinced they're not sick that take job meds that are antipsychotics. So the way we label it, the way we describe it, the way we talk about it um, makes it very difficult for people to be treated um, even if they've been diagnosed. And then you got millions of people out there that suffer from what's called anisognosia where they can't understand they have an illness. This happens in stroke patients, dementia patients, bipolar, schizophrenia. Half the time, people with schizophrenia or bipolar cannot recognize they have an illness, medically cannot recognize it, and not even medication helps them to recognize it. So you have millions and millions of people out there that are obviously untreated because they don't feel like there's anything wrong with them. And we need a better approach with those. I have a whole approach that I do with people that are suffering like that. And we just need to imp implement better ways of approaching people like that, that are in that situation. So we're missing out on diagnosing or treating a lot of people. We got a lot of people diagnosed who don't want to take the meds for a hundred reasons. And so, you know, I think, my gosh, if the, I don't know if diabetic diabetes is like this, you have the one medication, you have to monitor it yourself. There is a lot of work to do in medicating yourself. But I, I would hope that they don't, there's not half of them out there not medicated. Um, um, but but there is at least half the number or more. Uh, surveys have shown or research shows that about after two years, 70% of people are off their meds. So only about 30% of the people that are, ought to be on meds that are diagnosed are on meds. And then you got this large population that's not diagnosed because of another part of their illness that are not on meds. So 
you think if you look back at a 30,000 foot view and went, what the hell's going on? You have all these people that, that would benefit so much for the medication. My little Abilify tablet is like, um, it's like a pin needle sized tablet. It's so tiny and yet it changes the course of my life. And so many people would benefit and we just are not getting that done. And that's just part of the system. It's just terrible. I see, you see it not just in homeless people, but you see it in people that are, that are doing well, but they can't finish college. They can't keep a job. They can't keep a relationship. Uh, it's just, it's just horrible. Thank you for sharing those insights. And I love the the medication reframing as a previous pharmacist, I, um, I absolutely agree that the nomenclature we use, and then we use it both in our system and out of our system that, yeah, nobody wants to be in an antipsychotic. And I've, and I've always kind of thought that, but I love you putting that into words from your experience. And I think that that's so powerful. And, and of course, all of the rest that you mentioned too, that how much brokenness there is and, and still room for improvement. Before we wrap yeah, it up, reminds me. I'm just going to say real quickly, yeah. since you're in the industry, there's that movie, um, "Love and Other Drugs." Uh, you've probably seen it. I don't where, actually think I have seen that one. Okay, where it's with um, anyway, it, it's about a pharmaceutical rep, and um, in the in the interesting part of the movie is that this pharmaceutical rep is trying to. He's selling Zyprexa and, and the, the, the doctor's using Prozac. So what he does is he takes all the Prozac off the doctor's shelf and puts his Zyprexa up and he dumps the Prozac into a dumpster and they show a homeless person coming and taking the meds. And then the next scene, you see the homeless person uh, all cleaned up, uh, getting more meds. And then on the third time, you see the homeless person saying, can I take these meds? Um, I have a job interview and I'm thinking right there in that movie, there's the job meds right there. <laughs> wow. I'll definitely have to check that one out then. I'm always up for a good, a good movie. That's got a, a health, uh, flair to it. So that's fantastic. All right. Before we wrap up, I want to be able to give the audience the insights and information on your book, when screams become whispers. So share a little bit about that and then where they can find you and the book. Sure. Um, when Screams Become Whispers is really the title is because I used to scream a lot, be angry a lot. And now people say I'm kind of more of a whispering kind of guy when they talk to me. Uh, so it's all about that 35 years of being undiagnosed. It's written from the stream of consciousness, which means it's all in the first person. You can really get into my head or get into a bipolar person's head and see what life looks like um it, its main reason that i wrote it was to give people hope uh, so it, it shows my journey through very very challenging difficult times but at the end of the book you see where i'm at today you see that there you know with with the right kind of treatment whatever that might be for that individual they can live a very successful life with bipolar disorder. And that was really the reason for the book. And they can get it. Um, it comes out on June 8th. You can pre-order it now on Amazon or on barnesandnoble.com. 
the Kindle version is available right now on Amazon. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And I will share those links in the show notes, Bob. Thank you so much for coming on for all of the work you do to make our communities systems better. And I know that it probably always feels like there's such an overwhelming amount that needs to be fixed, but you were doing more than your part. And I really appreciate that on behalf of all those that you help and on behalf of myself and the audience for you sharing. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much to Bob for sharing his heart and soul and journey with bipolar one disorder. I really love having these conversations. They're maybe not conversations we have enough of. And if we knew more of individual perspectives and stories and journeys, we may be able to shift the way that we approach mental health and mental illness in this country. So thank you again, Bob, for being our sounding board and our insights into bipolar disorder. Thank you all for continuing to listen. If you liked and enjoyed this episode or any previous episode, as always, I would so appreciate if you took just a minute to review me on iTunes. That's how people find this podcast and it's the primary way to review. And I would love also to know any guests or topics you would like to have covered. You can email me anytime at claudia at peaceadvocacygroup.com or you can simply message me on Instagram. My handle there is surrenderjim. That's S-U-R-R-E-N-D-E-R-G-Y-M. I look forward to seeing you here again next time.